Hello and welcome to One to Grow On, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. My name is Hallie Casey and I studied and currently work in agriculture. And I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad. Each episode we pick an area of agriculture or food production that confuses a lot of people and try to get Hallie to explain it to us. And this week we are starting a series on organics. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so here's the deal. So we are going to do a a series on organic agriculture that's going to be at least four episodes long. At least? I thought it was going to be four. Are you telling me there could be more? I don't know. If if we come out the end of this and folks still have a lot of questions, we might have to tack an extra episode on onto the end of that. All righty. I guess there's a lot to talk about. Yes. Catherine and I have already done the research for all four of our current planned episodes. And I got to tell you guys, I learned a lot. Like I was surprised by some of the stuff that we learned. So I'm excited to get into this. I think it's going to be a journey. I think we're all going to learn a lot. Hopefully, we're going to end up with a lot of questions. If you want more info on something, you can tweet with the hashtag AskOneToGrowOn, or you can email us at OneToGrowOnPod at gmail.com. Yep, send us all the questions. All right, so let's get into this. Okay, so what do you know about organic agriculture, Dad? So I know you have to get certified, and I know you can only use certain pesticides. And I think certain fertilizers. I know organic food costs more money. And I think that's about it. Okay, yeah, that's that's a good start. It is something that you have to get certified for. You have to be certified in order to label your produce as organic. Typically in the U.S., I think if you sell under like 5000 in profits, then you don't have to be certified to use organic. But that's really, really small scale producers. There are inputs, including pesticides and fertilizers, that you can't use. And often the organic certified produce will cost more money, although that's not always the case. Really? Every time I look at organic oranges, they're always more expensive. And I always wonder, you know, are they even worth it? Yeah, I mean, it it just really depends on the market. So sometimes you will see maybe there's a local organic producer who was able to get something to market a bit sooner than a conventional one. And so they were just able to make it couple cents cheaper. I I would say, yeah, if you look at it broadly across the industry, typically organic is going to be more expensive, but you have some cases where it's not. All right. So this week we're talking about the history, I guess. Yeah. So today I want to kind of define organic agriculture and talk a little bit about the history of it. Uh, Talk about some of those, you know, OG organic influencers (laughs) back in the day, kind of where it came from, who pioneered this movement. Um, next week and several weeks after that, we're going to talk about some of the trade-offs, the pros and cons with organics. But today is just history and kind of making sure everyone's on the same page. And we all know what organic agriculture actually is. OG organic. I love it. (laughs) All right. So what is organic agriculture? Okay. So organic agriculture, as you said, is a kind of certified agricultural production. You have to be certified in order to put organic on your produce almost always um however like we see organic a lot it's a very hot button topic i think but it's a really small percentage of agriculture globally it's estimated that it's like one percent of global agriculture is actually certified organic as of 2016 that's it as popular as it is i thought it would have been more 
Yeah, you see a lot of organic in produce, but you really don't see it as much in processed foods. Things like crackers, pastas, canned goods, or frozen foods, especially a lot of our grains. Uh, you don't really see them certified organic, and that's such a huge part of agriculture. Ah, uh, I see. Now I feel superior for buying mostly produce and not canned stuff. Okay, that's a whole other episode that we mostly have actually covered. We talked about processed foods. Not necessarily a bad thing. All right, but now we're talking about organic, so go on. So as organic agriculture is certified, there are specific standards that have to be met by producers who want to say their produce is organic. Typically, these standards are set by the countries, and they can vary slightly country to country, but there are some general commonalities. So first, you can't use any genetically modified seed or transplants. And in this case, genetically modified seed is defined as something that's genetics have been modified in a laboratory. You know, certain genes have been removed or inserted or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Genetically modified. Sometimes people kind of argue, well, we genetically modify stuff when we breed it, but we're specifically talking about directly modifying the genetics directly. So using tools such as CRISPR to go in and directly modify a gene. That's how I like my kale is CRISPR. Oh my God. (laughs) So you also can use no, sometimes limited, artificial fertilizers, herbicides, and pesticides. So when we say artificial, we're usually talking about things that have been synthesized in a lab. Okay, but I mean, you can't get a fertilizer or, I mean, unless you're using, you know, straight compost or manure, you can't get a fertilizer or pesticide unless it comes out of some sort of lab, I assume. Well, so when we talk about fertilizers, those are a really specific thing. So in organic agriculture, you can't use any fertilizers because when we talk about fertilizers, those are all mineral. So you can say exactly like what the per pound content is. Whereas when you think about something like manure or compost, you don't know precisely what is in there. But yeah, it's it's kind of a hard line to draw. In the U.S., we have some quote unquote artificial pesticides that you can use in a organic setting. However, generally when we kind of draw that line, the idea is that organic certified inputs come from the natural world. So when we think about improving plant nutrition, we have things like mycorrhizal fungi, which are little dudes who can live in the soil and make nutrients more available to plants. Or we have inputs that are things like nematodes or bacteria or viruses that can directly target pests and diseases. Uh, So these are kind of utilizing those natural relationships in a farm setting. So you can get them like in a little bottle and you can spray them on your crops. All right. Another thing that is in most organic certification systems is the idea of building or maintaining the ecosystem in and around the farm, which is kind of an interesting concept. Um, And a lot of times when we talk about organics, we have like rules and then suggestions. So like no GMO seed, that's like a rule, hard and fast. Uh, Limited to no artificial fertilizers, herbicides and pesticides, that's a rule. You know, in some organic certification systems, there are a list of permitted artificial inputs. But beyond that, it's like a rule, absolutely none. This one, this build, maintain the ecosystem is kind of a bit squishier, right? So it's a little bit harder to legislate. It's a little bit harder to enforce. Um, So there are kind of some suggestions that go along with this. I think here in the U.S. how it works is they kind of give a list of suggestions and then you talk to your certifier and say, these are the ones that I want to do. 
and they'll say, yes, that's enough or no, that's not enough. I could be wrong. I've never been organically certified by the USDA, but I'm pretty sure that's how that works. So a, a big focus around this kind of ecosystem bullet point is promoting soil health and water quality. Actually, in the U.S. legislation, the actual like organic code, it says the producer must select and implement tillage and cultivation practices that maintain or improve the physical, chemical and biological condition of soil and minimize erosion. So it's really putting that prerogative into the farmer's hands, which while it's kind of implicitly there, it's not you know explicitly there in any other growing system, really. They also encourage things like rotating crops, um, cultivating nitrogen-fixing plants. So these are plants that have little fungi on the roots, and they're able to take nitrogen out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. So that's a really great way, if you're not allowed to use nitrogen fertilizer, which you're absolutely not in any organic system, this is a great way to get that nitrogen. Are you sure it's not fungi? Because that's I don't know. <laughs> because that's how I would know. I would I would want to have someone on my roots as if it were a fun guy. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. All right, where were you? Um, they also encourage things like green manuring and no-till practices or reduced till. So that's the idea of kind of just leaving crop residues on the top of the soil. So just like when you harvest, you don't till it or you don't mow it. You just leave it. Well, sometimes you mow it, but you just leave it on there as opposed to completely clearing the field and leaving it bare. Kind of like when I mow my grass. Yeah, very similar to that. Absolutely. It also talks about cover crops, which is a system to basically you put in crops during the winter when you wouldn't be able to grow anything for profit and then you just leave them and let them die. Similar to um, mowing in or green manuring, like we talked about earlier, where you just leave it and it stays on top of the soil. And they also, you know, encourage planting resistant varieties. So there are some plants that are just stronger when it comes to resisting pests or disease or anything like that. So they really encourage thinking about that when you plant so you don't have to use as many inputs. That makes sense. There's also, so the next rule is no commingling, so they're really, really strict about separating conventionally grown crops and organically grown crops, so sometimes you have to have a buffer zone, or there's a lot of different things to kind of show that you don't have, like, chemical drift, for example, that, like, if you apply an herbicide, it's not going to drift over onto your organic crops, or if your neighbor applies it or something like that. Taking it back to Star Trek, you got to have kind of a neutral zone, I guess. Is there a neutral zone in Star Trek? Oh, Jesus. Okay. Uh, next, pl- what? That's a legitimate question. <laughs> yes, there is a neutral zone in Star Trek. It's a thing. It's not in the whale movie, though. They don't talk about that, right? No, it's not in the whale movie. That's the movie I know the most about. Fair enough. It's a good one. There's whales in it. It is. It is. It's a. It's a good movie. Love the whales. Gotta save them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So next. Um. So when we think about animal organically certified agriculture. All animals must be raised in accordance with organic principles starting for mammals um, in the third trimester in the womb. And for poultry, it's on the second day of life. So it's really like from the beginning. They have to be fed organic feed and they can't be fed any plastic or any waste or anything like that. And when you say fed plastic, you're not talking like on purpose. Well... Okay, so I don't know a ton about this because uh, I am not an animal person. I'm a plant person. But in the U.S., there are like legal limits to how much plastic you can feed your animals, right? So oftentimes feed gets mixed up. There's some plastic in there. Some of the feed bag will go into the feed trough. 
There are a lot of ways that plastic gets put into feed and pigs and goats and stuff like that are not really going to care if it's plastic or actually animal or plant-based. Huh. Yeah. So in organic, there's absolutely zero plastic. There's none of this like allowable amounts. All righty. The only preventative medicine you can use in organic animal agriculture is vaccines. So you can't use any preventative antibiotics and you can't use any hormones at all. They really kind of emphasize building the animal's immunodefenses as opposed to pre-treating them, right? So antibiotics, you're kind of decimating the animal's immunosystem to just kind of get ahead of whatever diseases could be attacking them. Organic agriculture doesn't encourage that. They say, you know, you can apply antibiotics if an animal is sick, but you should, you know, let the animal's immunological system fight off sickness in its own way. When you think about processed foods, so like those crackers or cereal or canned goods or whatever, 95% of those ingredients have to be organically grown. So you can only have 5% that was non-organic. And then the last thing about organic is that it's just it requires a lot of record keeping on behalf of the farmers. There's a lot of different kinds of record keeping, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. But that's kind of one of also the core tenets of organic generally, because it is certified. So you have to go through and show that you're meeting all these standards. I didn't hear any mention of your all-time favorite agricultural practice, composting. Yeah, so composting, it was definitely like one of the original tenets of the original organic movement, which we'll talk about in the second half um, after the break. But composting, the idea is kind of just taking something that was once alive and allowing it to return to a solid carbon state that can be stored in the soil. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the other practices that I talked about include that, like when we think about green manuring or no-till, all of these are about building up that soil carbon and increasing kind of what, what's able to stay behind in, in the soil. So it doesn't necessarily have to be composting, but it's kind of a similar process. So like I mentioned before, you have to have a plan and you have to present it. Sometimes in the U.S. you're presenting it to someone from the actual USDA. Some states have organic certifications, so you can get certified by your state, and then you can carry both the USDA and the state certifications. Uh, if you're an international grower, meaning like you're someone in another country that wants to sell to the U.S. with that USDA organic price premium, then there's often, I guess, like certified certifiers, if that makes sense, like people that the USDA trade to make sure that they can certify a farm or some other system. Um, and then farms outside the U.S. can carry the USDA certification as well. There are some countries that have their own certification programs. Not all do, but many do. Um, some can actually parallel the USDA certification, meaning that if you get certified by your country, you can also carry the USDA certification. But I think currently it's only eight countries for certifications. In the U.S., uh, we actually got our organic legislation in 1990 at the federal level. We had some state certifications before that, but at the federal level, it was 1990. The present day organic movement actually started a lot of people associate it with California, but it actually started in Europe after World War One. Wow. I had no idea it started that early. Well, we didn't call it organic, or they didn't. I wasn't around. <laughs> but they didn't call it organic. Uh, but that's kind of where the present day movement stems from. I'll talk about that a lot in the second half. But it really is kind of a European-based movement that then moved to the U.S. in California and kind of spread from there throughout the 1970s. Again, we'll talk about that in the second half. As so many things often do. 
In the EU, the restrictions are fairly similar to the U.S. ones, but they actually won't allow ionizing radiation, which is basically where we very, very lightly radiate food. Uh, the idea, we mostly do it for produce, and it's kind of to elongate shelf life. It's been studied a lot. There's pretty much no evidence that it's unsafe for human consumption, but here in the U.S., you can radiate your food and still sell it as organic, whereas in Europe, you cannot. There are a bunch of other variations country to country, including within the EU. So like France has its own system and there's a whole bunch of different ones. I can't go into those. Uh, generally, kind of what I covered, those rules and suggestions I talked about earlier are pretty broad strokes what you see in most organic systems. And that's kind of that's kind of the basics. That's kind of the, the baseline. Well, after all that talk about organics, it's a good time to make an organic transition into the break. <laughs> That was good. That was really good. Bye. Thank you very much. Hello, listener, and welcome to the break. Welcome to the middle part. The middle part is the best part, and the middle part is guaranteed certified organic, too. Is it? (laughs) Absolutely. Listen, here's what I want to talk about, okay? I want to talk about this thing that we're doing, right? It's the first series. We're making a short series, four whole episodes. It was a lot. It is a lot. And it's, I got to say, Hallie and Catherine did an immense amount of work. Uh, The outline for this thing is huge. It's like 10 pages at least. Yeah, it's really great. And this is something that we're really enjoying and we really want to keep doing. And one thing that if you're interested in helping us at the podcast do more cool stuff like this, you can head over to our Patreon and support us there. One dollar a month. That's all we're asking. Please, please. <laughs> there are different tiers there are. where you can support. There are different perks. You can get really funny outtakes, which are always hilarious. And if they're not, literally dad records jokes just so that they're funny. <laughs> well, I've, to be fair, I've done that once. But yes, it was it was pretty great. It's really funny. It's telling bee jokes to my nephews and them not getting them, and it's hilarious. We also have the game show that we recorded in December. There is extra research that Catherine puts together for every single episode where she goes more in-depth in one aspect of the episode. We have a plan of the month club where we talk about one plant in a little bit more detail, and we have a really fun, delicious recipe. So if you're interested in any of these things or if you're just interested in supporting us, There are running costs associated with this, and we would love to donate more time and effort and energy to this, but it's just not always possible. So your support on Patreon really makes it that much more possible and really means the world to us. And speaking of our patrons, thank you very much to our Starfruit patron, Lindsay. Thank you so much, Queen. And with that, let's get back to the episode. Back to the episode. So, uh, Dad, do you have an nature fact? I do. I do. In fact, oh. it's both about nature and a fact. Hit me. So, this is, a, this is a pretty basic one. A lot of people probably already know this, but maybe there are a few out there that don't. In chemistry, organic chemistry is the study of carbon-based chemistry. And so that's what it means. An organic molecule is a molecule with carbon in it. Mm-hmm. And in nature, pure carbon comes in two forms graphite and diamond Mm. and like i knew that it came in diamond form obviously but i didn't know until i wasn't sure until today that uh graphite was its its other natural form 
There can be charcoal sometimes. Usually charcoal is the result of a process yeah. that involves people. But graphite is one way to find carbon. I'm just taking uh, I'm just taking some notes with my carbon over here. There you go. Just making some carbon sketches. Take it out of the ground, stick it in your pencil. <laughs> so technically, when you think about it, all farming used to be organic. Is this one of those things where someone was like, we need to get back to the way things were done thousands of years ago? A little bit. A little bit? Okay. Technically, when you think about it, all kids in the Middle Ages were anti-vaxxers. So technically, when you think about it. That's true. Yeah, it's, it is kind of similar. Farming organically really is focused on the natural processes and we are not at the point in this series yet where I am talking about if that is a good thing or a bad thing or my personal opinions. But that is kind of what, what the philosophy of it is, is and what it is based on is these natural processes. Okay. So the term organic agriculture was coined in the 1940s by Lord Walter James Fourth Baron of Northbourne in some book that he wrote. But the concept of organic agriculture existed before this. And I want to say, you know, all farming used to be organic. So these ideas are not new, but where our current system from organics stemmed from was these Western European, quote unquote, thinkers who wrote these ideas down. These are not the first people to think about these ideas, but this is where the organics movement that turned into the organic certification, this is where those ideas came from. Some jerk had to go and codify it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So the earliest place that we're going to, I guess, start our story of the organics influencers is in the 1920s. And it wasn't called organics. It was called biodynamic farming. It was very similar to what we think of as our current day organic farming, but it included a lot of mysticism. Oh, boy. Yes. So it was very kind of religious, spiritual, in addition to the organic idea of kind of following nature's patterns. Okay. It was founded by Rudolf Steiner in the 1920s, who actually also founded the Waldorf School System. Interesting tidbit. Very interesting tidbit. He was an accomplished guy for being quite as out there as he was, which was quite. But he, he really focused on soil health, the health of crops and livestock, and kind of the integration of those two into one system. And he was... It, it was very spiritual. It was, it was very focused on kind of each farm having its own individual spirit as a creature and each like garden being its own living creature, which is it sounds kind of woo woo. But when we think about it today in terms of things like soil health and regenerative farming, we often talk about how a farm is an ecosystem. So not that it's necessarily, you know, its own living creature, but a farm does does have a lot of systems and does need to work as a whole unit that incorporates the soil and, you know, the ground cover and the plants and the macrofauna and microfauna. So there there is a nugget there, right, in the middle of kind of behind behind the mysticism, which I won't really comment on, there is a concept of looking towards natural associations and considering how they impact productivity. I mean, it sounds like a little bit of a retcon to me, but I'm all about, you know, farms being their own ecosystem that you need to pay attention to. So whatever. 
I hear you. I, I totally hear you. So another of our big organic influencers was Sir Albert Howard, and he went to India in the early 1900s and found out about composting and got very excited about composting and a couple of other concepts, including humus and mycorrhizal fungi and a couple of other things that are very key in these organic farming systems, but particularly composting. He was real stoked about composting. Is this the guy that was in the can? It was in the what? No, that was Prince Albert. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i don't okay yep <laughs> sorry okay move yep moving on okay moving on uh another of our organics influencers was lady eve balfour who honestly sounds pretty chill she was born an aristocrat but just really wanted to farm so she just did she just like farmed a bunch that's pretty because boss. she just wanted to and i feel like i could kind of get down with that right she was super into composting super into soil health. She founded the Soil Association in 1946. She just, I don't know, she sounds like a dope lady. Today, the Soil Association has kind of evolved and now certifies more than 80% of organic agriculture in the UK. So pretty chill. Way to stay relevant. So wait, she farmed as an aristocrat or she gave up the aristocracy to become a farmer? I mean, how do you give up the aristocracy? What does that mean? Yeah, okay. I didn't think. I mean, so, she but... she like left. She like left the party lifestyle of like living in a manor and all that stuff, and she farmed instead. Oh, now I like her even more. Right? She sounds chill. Plus, she was super into soil, so you know how I feel about that. Fair enough. Okay. So our last organic influencer is Masanobu Fukuoka, and he started the like with the idea of quote unquote natural or quote unquote do nothing farming in the 1930s in Japan where he's from and he was very into that took a hiatus in the 1940s obvious reasons world war 2 um but he got very back into it in like the 1970s and he got very big he was writing a lot of books and and saying a lot of things and actually went on to be very involved in the organic agriculture movement and was promoting organic agriculture until he died in 2008 at the age of 95. So he was like lifelong. He was in it for the long haul. All right, hang on. You were talking about how he's into the the do-nothing farming, natural farming, which I'm sure even that kind of farming was not, you know, do-nothing. It's a lot of work, but... In my, I'm not even much of a gardener even, but in my limited experience, when you do nothing, you don't grow crops or flowers or anything like that. You grow weeds. Okay, that's a good, yes, that's a good point. So weeds are kind of the the first things to grow when you have bare soil or disturbed soil or something like that. Um, Naturally, the earth does not want to be bare. It does not want to be like facing the sun generally in most places. Um, there are natural defenses against that for different reasons, but most particularly because of erosion, right? So if we have exposed soil, it is very vulnerable to wind erosion or water erosion. Weeds are things that grow very quickly and very easily in disturbed soil. So the idea behind soil health more generally is that if you build up the health of the soil and you care for it properly, you don't have weeds. Wow. Yeah. Knowledge nuggets with Hallie Casey. Knowledge nuggets. So organic agriculture generally kind of disappeared after World War II in the mainstream. So it got kind of mainstream with these like white rich people touting it. 
And then after World War II, everyone was really focused on increasing yield and the Green Revolution because we were having all these population booms and everyone was kind of really stressing about it. And we also saw really exponential growth in yield. Like, you know, you were growing in soil that never had mineral fertilizer. And so it had a huge impact. And so this this mineral fertilizer was really, really changing the game for agriculture. So organics in kind of the general conversation of agriculture fell to the wayside until the middle of the 20th century when people started looking at environmentalism and started pushing back against things like pesticides and DDT, which were getting some really bad press. And then in 1972, the International Federation of Organic Agriculture Movements was founded by actually the one and only Lady Eve Balfour, our soil queen. Lady Eve! Yes. Um, and it's it was just basically an organization to really promote through information and policy, organic agriculture around the world. And this was really the first organics advocacy organization. An organic face for an organic place. <laughs> so this like transition in the mid to late 70s kind of snowballed and, and grew very quickly. Um, there was a lot of pushback against big corporations. Environmentalism was very in. And there was this whole countercultural idea of, of getting back to the land. It was way before my time, but that's kind of, from what I understand, what was happening and why this movement was able to grow so much in the 1970s. And then in 1973, in California, um, you got the first certification program, um, which was called the California Certified Organics Farmer Program, I guess. So cool. It kind of blew up with some good press and good promotion in the early 70s and, and got its first legal codification. In the early to mid-70s, and it's just been growing, so to speak, ever since. Yeah. So here in the U.S., for a long time, the certifications were state to state until the 90s when we got our federal certification, which is the USDA certification. This happened because, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a amendment used called ALAR, which turned out to be a carcinogen, and there was like a 60-minute special, and... There was this like big demand to take it off the market and regulate more kind of what goes on our food. And that's kind of where the USDA organic certification stemmed from. And now we have organic food everywhere. And that's the end of our story. <laughs> no, <laughs> not quite. No. Well, that's probably the end of this episode, though. Yes, I think that that is probably a good place to leave it. It's a little bit of history. It's a little bit of info on kind of the philosophy and the history of organic agriculture, why it is what it is. Um, if you have questions about this episode or any of the future episodes about organic agriculture, you can tweet with the hashtag ask one to grow on. And I'm going to be looking at that hashtag. And in the next couple episodes, we will probably be answering a couple of questions about organic agriculture. Send them our way. Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. If you'd like to support the show, please write and review us on iTunes and consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. If you'd like to connect with us, find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at one to grow on pod. This show is hosted by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. It's produced by Catherine RJ and Hallie Casey. Our music is something elated by Broke for Free. Be sure to check out the next episode in two weeks. But until then, keep on growing. Bye, everybody.